Blog Talk Radio. Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the Lord. Got miles to go before we sleep. Lawman is putting into my running, and I'm so far from my. We will not go gently. We're going to unleash hell here in December. Oh, mama, I can hear you crying. You're so scared and all alone. Hey, somebody fix this guy's buckle. Hey, 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 coming down from the gallows and I don't have very Welcome back to another edition of The Standard is the Standard, the BehindTheSteelCurtain.com flagship podcast, one of many that we offer now. I'm the editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, Jeff Hartman, and with me as always, back from his one-week sabbatical, that's Lance Williams out on the West Coast. What's going on, Lance? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm back. I want to give a big shout-out to CC for filling in been a very tumultuous last couple of weeks, but I'm glad to be back on the show talking about the 4-1 and one Pittsburgh Steelers. And it, it's good to have you back. Uh, we missed your uh, cynicism and uh, your negative Nancy attitude. Uh, last, last week was way too much positivity with me and Chris Carter. You know, we're both homers. So, I mean, we were all about the, the Steelers. So, it's good to have you back. Now, I, I have to apologize to you, Lance. I know that you had sent me a prediction, and folks that are listening, whether it's live or on podcast, he did predict the Steelers to win last week against the Jets. I want to say, Lance, he might have said 28-17. to 17. Was that ballpark, what you what you predicted? That was about it. I didn't think they'd get 30, but I, I did predict high 20, but I definitely predicted a victory. Okay, so he did predict a win, so I'm not going to – he wasn't all negative last week. But I do want to get your thoughts on the game because we didn't get to we didn't get to hear from you in, in last week at all. Um, I know that you were really looking at that Jets defensive front, and especially Chris Hubbard at right tackle, making his first NFL start. And you were kind of sweating a little bit. What were your thoughts after the game? After everything wrapped up, I just want to get your ballpark figure as to what what you thought the game was like. To me, is that uh, from a depth perspective that they're much better than I anticipated on both sides of the ball and right now the game has really changed I mean we've seen elite defenses win two of the last three Super Bowls uh, with Denver and with Seattle but the way this offense is playing right now and, and, and and I do believe in the adage that defense wins championships um, as long as they protect Ben Roethlisberger, that offense is going to get everybody, and it's just a matter of time. Even when they sputter, start off a little bit slow, even, you know, get a little inconsistent in games, they have so many weapons, eventually they just get you. 
and they're so efficient in the red zone. I believe they're top two uh, in terms of red zone percentage, and that's touchdowns scored in the red zone. Uh, I think they're behind the Raiders. They're top three, I believe. They're just playing outstanding football on the offensive side of football. And the thing that just stood out, even in a game with Ben Roethlisberger, throws four touchdown passes, Sammy Coates self-checks him to himself to a 150-yard receipt. He gave the two touchdowns that he probably <laughs> could have had, 250. He was his best cornerback. Um, even in a situation like that, in an A-B doing his thing, another touchdown, Le'Veon Bell, the juice man, is something else. And, and I, you know, I, I, I try not to be a guy that practices hyperbole. But but I'm going to say this, that the juice man has Hall of Fame talent and will be in Canton if he stays healthy and stays out of trouble off the field. I haven't seen wow. a running back control a football game in the passing game the way he controlled that game and really neutralized a lot of what the Jets were trying to do. It wasn't his best running back game, but the nine receptions, every time they needed a first down, dump it to Le'Veon. Get Le'Veon in the flat on a route. Get Le'Veon on a drag. I mean, he just changed that game and controlled the momentum of that game just by making reception after reception after reception. Steeler fan, he's special. He's absolutely special, and he has the talent and the ability to be the best running back ever in Pittsburgh Steeler history. That's high praise, man. That's really high praise, and I think that's warranted. Um, so let me ask you this about the Steelers' offense. Uh, when I watch them, and I have, I've rewatched every single game, the five games they've played, even when they put up 40-plus against the Chiefs, even when they put up 31 against a good Jets defense, at least a good defensive front, I should say, I still look at this offense and think, man, there's still room to grow. I mean, they could still be better. And that's the ridiculous thing. They put up three points on Philly. That's it. They only scored three points. And they're averaging, well, I guess now you add in the 31, that's going to make their 27 going into week five. Um, I'm no mathematician that's going to be closer to 39. It's just ridiculous. Do you see that as well? Like, they're still not clicking on all cylinders. And I actually think that's a good thing because you don't want them to peak too early. Um, do you see that as well? Yeah, there is room to grow. I mean, that offense should not have three and outs, period. I mean, they don't have to score a touchdown every drive. We know that's not going to happen. They may not even score points every drive. But that's an offense that should be a three-first-down offense every single drop where, you know, they're just moving the ball. And, and when I watch them now, and, and I hate to make it so rudimentary, but I think sometimes, you know, simplicity is best. They can't – if you can't get pressure, and particularly with your front four, and you don't have to compromise numbers to get pressure, they're going to get you. It is just a matter of time. And you may get lucky if they don't get you all the time. But this is an offense where, you know, they shouldn't punt three or four times in a game. I mean, this is an offense like three punts. They're rolling. It should just be first down, pick up third down. I mean, when I, when this offense is really, really, really rolling, 
a true sign will be to count the number of third downs that they're in. Where this is going to be an offense at the end of the year, if they stay healthy, where they'll have like eight third down attempts, uh, convert five of those, but still score 30 plus where they're just getting in first down off of two plays instead of three, where it's just bang, bang, first down, bang, bang, first down. Okay, third down, convert, bang, bang, first down. Where It's going, it's going to be like that very soon if they can get people back and stay healthy. Because think of this, Jeff, Eli Rogers is still on the shelf. You know, yeah. Martavis Bryant is in some random third insert name drug rehab facility. Ladarius Green is on the pump list. So they can add stuff to this offense <laughs> to make it even better. So, I mean, when you're yeah. averaging 29 points a game and you scored three in a game, that, that says it there. Yeah. Well, you know, we're going to get into the injuries, and I do want to talk about that at length in a little bit. But I want to ask you, and, you know, it's, it's, a lot of people are probably listening to the show saying, why are they talking so much about the offense? That's clearly not the issue on the team, and, and I guess you could understand that. But there's been a, there's been a small core group of fans, at, uh, a.k.a. media as well, that are noticing a pure, a really clear disconnect with Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown since uh, Le'Veon Bell has come back. And it's only two weeks. It's a small sample size. I get that. But there is a disconnect. You, you don't see them on that other level. Now, I personally look at it in a, in a different way. Um, I know that Dayon Kovacevic and DK Pittsburgh Sports wrote an article about how they just didn't seem to be in sync. I don't see it as they don't, they're not in sync. I see it as that Roethlisberger doesn't have to throw to Antonio Brown every time. Uh, when Le'Veon Bell, when Le'Veon Bell comes back, when he returns to the lineup in Week Four, all of a sudden the defense now has to pick their poison. They're going to roll coverage to Antonio Brown no matter what. They normally are going to have to have a safety or someone identifying Le'Veon Bell out of the backfield, which is going to leave them thin on the other side, and that's where Sammy Coates has just been doing all his damage. I just think that Antonio Brown hasn't been able to get the opportunities, but now that Sammy Coates has a big day. Uh, I guess he's had a pretty big season in terms of the deep ball, but he had a big day, um, could have had a huge day in week five against the Jets. Maybe all of a sudden they don't play, they don't roll over as much to Antonio Brown and stick with maybe a, a more straight-up look, and that could open up things more to Antonio Brown. My question for you is, do you see the disconnect between Roethlisberger and A.B.? A.B. still getting his numbers, especially touchdowns. He's getting more touchdowns than he has, I think, any time in his career through five games. And uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you see that? And if so, you think it's an issue? You know, I, I've never been one to listen to press conferences and try to read something into them. But I don't know if you checked out the post-game audio of A.B. after the game. He sounded really different. You know, A.B. typically sounds, you know, pretty excited, pretty happy, pretty jovial, and it didn't really sound that way after the game, particularly after a win. I mean, I'm sure he was happy that they won, but I don't know. He didn't seem too happy about it. Now, in terms of a disconnect, I don't think there's a disconnect. In big moments, 
they went to A.B. to convert some third downs and to get a touchdown to seal the game and put the game away. They went to him in the biggest of moments. So beyond their means, uh, in terms of the weapons that they have on offense, and it's great that they don't have to rely on A.B. to get it. But the juice man is so good, it's hard to not get him touches. But one thing that I do, because you take a look at the spreadsheet, is I track touches of the juice man and D'Angelo Williams and a couple of the key offensive ball players. They are going to have to uh, take a look at the number of touches that Le'Veon is getting and balance that out. Because I believe in the game against uh, the Jets, I think he had 30 touches. I think he had about 25, 27 touches uh, against the Chiefs. And on average last year, he got around 25 touches. Sort of the magic number was about 18 rushing attempts in you. But if anything, they may want to drop some of the pass targets down, maybe give those to Antonio. But when you've got all those weapons, unless they're going to throw it 45 times a game, you know, it's going to be hard to see Antonio getting 17 targets in a game like he did against Denver last year. I just don't know if that's going to happen. And earlier this year, we talked about A.B. getting 2,000 yards, receiving, but it seems like it's not going to be an issue of cornerback stopping him. It's probably going to be Le'Veon Bell stopping him and Le'Veon getting some of those reception targets that might have been A.B. Look, if they're winning, they're putting up points, it's all good. There's no disconnect. They're averaging 29 points a game and having scored three points against Philadelphia. So there's no disconnect here. Yeah, I I definitely see it that way. And I think the fans might be, and some of, like I said, some of the media uh, might be overblowing this a little bit. Brown's going to have a big game. He, He just do. And if you look at his season stats every year since he's been a regular on the playing field, he has some some lulls, and that's even with Ben Roethlisberger, where he might have like the other the other day. I want to say against Kansas City, he had I think four receptions for sixty some yards, but he scored two touchdowns. Um, I don't know what if, if he's thinking in his mind that he wants to break that two thousand yard barrier. If the Steelers stay healthy, that's never going to happen, um, especially with Le'Veon Bell. Now you did bring up Le'Veon Bell's touches. Man, get that guy the ball as many times as he can. That, that's how electrifying he is. When you watch him even run the football, D'Angelo Williams is great. But it just goes to show you how he, Le'Veon Bell, is on the next level. Um, his cuts, his vision, he never gets driven backwards. He's always falling forward. And I, I, I think if you watch that game again, um, I can't remember. I want to say it might have been the second quarter. You know, Anson, if you watched it, you might have seen it and might be able to tell us when it happened. There was a play where it broke. It's very typical Roethlisberger to Bell. The lady on Bell is in pass pro. Things break down. He slips out of the backfield, and Ben just misses him over the top, right right outside the uh, pocket. And there wasn't anyone within 35 yards of that guy. And it was just a really big opportunity miss, and that's rare that you see Roethlisberger miss that. But um, anytime he, he's in the, in the, in the flat, it's a mismatch. I, I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm wondering if a safety would be able to cover it because we know linebackers. There's no linebacker in the league 
maybe that's not Ryan Shazier that can actually cover Le'Veon Bell. I'm wondering if there's a safety that can cover him because, to be honest, he runs that good of routes. He's that good of a, of a pass catcher. Um, like you said, at, at, as advertised, I'm all about Le'Veon Bell. Go back to 2014, listen to our podcast then. I was drinking his Kool-Aid then, still drinking the Kool-Aid now. He is that good. Now, uh, do but you remember thing, that play, Jeff, by the way, before Jeff, we move on? But, but here's the thing. I, I don't recall that play. I'm going to go ahead and go watch the All-22 uh, probably tomorrow, and I'm going to look for that thing, Jeff. Here's the dilemma with this Steeler offense is can you afford to allocate a safety to Le'Veon with Sammy Coates, A.B., and Wheaton? I mean, can you can exactly. you have the resources to do that? You may be stuck with yeah. You have to put a linebacker on them and give that up because they'll take their shots, and the way they're so aggressive coming out the gate, they're like, look, we're getting these safeties away from the line of scrimmage because we're taking a shot right off the bus. Like, you know it. The deep shot the coach is coming. That's what we're going to do. Get your safeties back so the Jewish man can have between the safeties and linebackers to work. They're, they're, they're tough. Absolutely. You better be able to get yeah, you better be able to get after them with your front four. Well, and, and that's, that's the thing. Everyone's talking about the Miami Dolphins team. We're going to preview that here in a few minutes. Everyone's already naturally, because the Dolphins are not that great of a football team, they're already looking at the Patriots and Bill Belichick. I don't care if it's Bill Belichick or Vince Lombardi coming back from the grave. The game plan against this Pittsburgh offense is a nightmare for a defensive coordinator. It's, it's, you try to take – you try. That's the key word. You try to take one of the weapons away. And I know we had this discussion off the air via text message which which weapon do you try to take away? And out of the three, if it's Coates, Brown, or, or Bell, I think most everyone's going to say Bell. The question, like you just said, how do you even take him away? Because he's going to be able to run the football. And then if you put a safety on him, well, then good luck in the back end with Antonio Brown and Sandy Coates. So it's a good problem to have. But I want to move on quickly. I want to talk about injuries. Now, the Steelers are a banged-up football team. Anytime you have nine players ruled out, this is what happened before week five. Nine players were ruled out of the game prior to the snaps. It wasn't even like a game day inactive. They were all ruled out. It was so bad they had to move Stenquist Golson and Ryan Harris to injured reserve, basically ending their seasons unless they can bring one of them back later in the year. But that's a discussion for another time. And they had to bring up uh, two players from the practice squad. Now, the injuries are, are, are getting better. Uh, this week, to today, Wednesday, is when we do the show, uh, the following players returned to practice and were full participants, which is a good thing. Cornerback Justin Gilbert returned from his knee. Uh, safety Robert Golden with his hamstring was a full participant. Roosevelt Nix for the second week in a row was a full participant with his back injury. And Eli Rogers, wide receiver with his toe, turf toe, returned and was a full participant in practice. That's a good, some good news there. Now, bad news. Came with, we know that Cam Hayward's out this week. Shamarco Thomas is out this week with a groin. It doesn't look like Marcus Gilbert's going to play. Shazier did not practice. I don't think he's playing this week. I wouldn't play him either. Uh, but Marcus Wheaton did not practice today because of that shoulder injury. I'm wondering if he re-injured that at some point. And then Sammy Coates, he has that laceration on his finger. I don't see him practicing too much this week, but they said he should be able to play this Sunday. Um, 
the injuries are the injuries, and we can talk about how they make you know how they impact the game. But Ben Roethlisberger went public today, actually before practice, his Wednesday media session, and they asked him about the injuries, and he said that's ah, part of the game. But at the same time, he kind of criticized, or I don't think it was intentional, but he kind of took a backhanded stab at Mike Tomlin by stating that he thinks that maybe Tomlin's a little too having two physical practices uh, throughout the year and leading up to the season and training camp. And this was a very similar story that was sung in 2007, if you recall, that was Tomlin's first year. Young coach, veteran team, he wanted to make his mark. And Heinz Ward, James Fair, all those guys, Max Starks, who were very public by saying that he he basically ground them into a stump, and that's when they lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars at Heinz Field in the, in the wildcard game. I, I want to get your thoughts, if you haven't heard, uh, what Ben Roethlisberger said, I could look it up, but I think you have, Lance. Um, and then Mike Tomlin actually had a comment about that today after practice. But what were your thoughts on Roethlisberger's comments uh, and how the practice situation could relate to the injury situation? First of all, Ben has always been too damn chirpy since he's been a Steeler, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean that's 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 one thing. Like Ben has always been chirpy. He was chirpy with Cower. He's been chirpy with Tomlin. Ben should keep that behind closed doors. But the irony or the ironic thing about it is Ben has a pink jersey on during practice anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody can touch Ben. If they touch Ben, they might get waved. And I said pink jersey because it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I want to send a special shout-out to Everybody that's had a mom, you know, even some men suffer from breast cancer, have had a loved one suffer from breast cancer and fought that fight. I want to send a uh, well wishes out and prayers out to your family, to all the survivors and everybody out there dealing with that disease. But Ben, it's not physical for Ben. So, so that, that's two. That, that's two. And, and secondly, man, you're winning. Just shut up. I mean, Injuries are part of the game. I mean, it's part of it. And here's the funny thing. As bad or as inconsistent as inconsistent as they tackle, how bad would they be if they didn't have physical practices? They wouldn't hit anybody. So, uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, not witnessing the practices, it's hard to say. But at the end of the day, it's a physical game. And I love Tomlin's response to the question he got in the press conference about Sammy Coates' cut hand in relation to him dropping passes, and he basically said, uh, we're not going to get into that. His performance is his performance. That's the only thing we're going to judge. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's football. And I think the article that you're talking about, I think, the one that I shared with you, it, it talked about Detroit and the players were talking to the Lions players. The Lions players were saying that was the first time they had hit, you know, when they had the uh, joint practices. And look at the Lions. They're busted up and broke up as well. It's a physical game. Trying to avoid injuries in football is like trying to figure out how to not pay your taxes. Well, I know a way to not pay your taxes, 900 billion dollars to get out of them, but hey, it's a physical game. Guys are going to get hurt. It just is what it is. You better have the depth to be able to deal with it, and it seems like the Steelers do. 
Well, and the thing is, too, is from an actual kinesiology standpoint, that's the study of the movement of the human body. I mean, I had to take a lot of those classes. I've been a coach for over 10 years now, a head coach at the high school level. Um, you, you learn about injuries, and, and some of these injuries that they're dealing with have nothing to do with, um, you know, uh, the amount of practice and how physical they are. Marcus Gilbert's ankle, he got rolled up on. That has nothing to do with how hard or how soft the practices are. Uh, Cameron Haywood's ankle injury earlier in preseason, same thing. You know, his hamstring, that's a little different. Shazier's knee, that's, again, these Cody Wallace. These are injuries that are not from, you know, the, the, the rigors of practice. And the, the funny thing is is that a lot of times hamstring injuries, they, they come from uh, either a lack of conditioning or just a fluke injury. I mean, hell, there's people that walk down the street and they hurt their hamstring, and it's not because it's real, been real physical. So I don't necessarily buy into what Roethlisberger is saying. Tomlin did make a comment today, which is rare. He normally only speaks to media on Tuesdays, but he made a comment today essentially saying that he hears him and he says it's a fine line, you know, but you have to walk between, you know, getting the reps and getting the experience for a lot of these players and then erring on the side of caution and, and being a little a little softer. I am surprised that some of the veterans, D'Angelo Williams is the only veteran that's been given, you know, those days off. Typically James Harrison is one, but um, according to Harrison, and I think a lot of people have said that he has refused to take days off. He said that he wants to be out there as much as possible. He felt that last year when he had all those days off, he wasn't as effective. So um, that could be it too. But still, the injuries are injuries. I want to get your thoughts on a couple things that happened today. Uh, one of which we covered uh, on BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. One, we're going to write that article tomorrow. The first is the Steelers signed Carlos Williams, former draft pick and running back for the Buffalo Bills and brother of Vince Williams, to their practice squad. What were your thoughts on that? Uh, what do you think the team might be thinking bringing in uh, Carlos into the fold? I mean, more depth. I mean, this is yeah. a football team that had to play Tucson Overture and Todd in a playoff <laughs> game in Denver last year. You know, you can't have uh, too many good running backs. And, you know, you just bring talented guys in your roster, and if you can store them away and get them in your program, in your building, and work, uh, you know, it might be an asset that you could tap later at some point in time. I mean, you know, we, we've seen backs go down the last couple of years. D'Angelo got hurt. Le'Veon has gotten hurt. Uh, so, you know, having talented backs, and he's a talented player out of Florida State, just like his brother, uh, Vince Williams, I mean, having talented football players on your roster is a good thing. So I think it's about stockpiling talent, having more depth to running back position, and having an insurance policy for late in the season when guys might be banged up. But with the juice man's touches, the interesting thing is, D'Angelo, you know, I'm not looking at my sheet right now, but D'Angelo has had under 10 touches the last two weeks. And I want to say that he's only had seven touches the last two weeks. So he's being preserved with the return of the juice, man. And so it's just good to have a stockpile of good backs because they're going to need them. Well, you have to think a little bit when you, when they sign a player to the practice squad, and a lot of folks were wondering, well, how did they get him when other teams might have been trying to get him as well. In the practice squad, you can set your own price, essentially. There's not a, a set standard. So the, the, the Steelers could have offered him more money than anyone else, and that's why he came. 
I think the fact that his brother's there will probably help, considering he's coming off a four-game suspension uh, for some off-the-field issues. His brother being there will probably help keep him a little bit grounded as Vince has never gotten into issues other than with the Cincinnati Bengals. But still, um, you got to look at D'Angelo Williams. His contract is up after this year. You don't know if he's going to play anymore. You don't know if the Steelers will be able to bring him back. Le'Veon Bell's contract is up after this year. I think that there's a good chance that they don't somehow sign him to a long-term deal. They franchise tag him. And so you wonder, if, if let's say D'Angelo Williams retires, and whether the Steelers win the Super Bowl or not, let's say he retires. He says, you know, I've had a great long career. It's been great in Pittsburgh. I'm done. I think Carlos would fit in better than Fitzgerald Toussaint in terms of that backup role for Le'Veon Bell. He's a bruiser. He's a very talented running back, like you mentioned. Like you said, can't have enough depth. Moving on from him, though, the other news that happened today, which was rather interesting, and I love the fact that it's happening because there's so many different people that said it wouldn't happen, it's not going to happen, and that is that it was reported by Ed Duchette of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette that Ladarius Green plans to return to practice next week. Now, that is when he is eligible to return to practice. He was on the pup list. That means he has to sit out the first six weeks. But now they're saying that he is set to return to practice. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to play against the Patriots. A lot of times they have to work their way back. He doesn't have any reps with Ben Roethlisberger. Um, ben Roethlisberger was quoted saying he's a weapon, a vertical threat, a guy who can help stretch the field, create safety issues, open things up for other guys. So I think there's a lot of possibilities. When you hear that news, Lance, what's your first reaction? Get your popcorn ready. They're trying to get him ready to go against the Patriots to really flex out that Patriot defense and really attack them in the seams. They are getting him ready for that showdown. You know, they're focused on this game against Miami, but they know if they can get the 5-1 and one and the Pats are 5-1 and one for when the Pats come to Heinz Field, they know how important that game is. They're going to use they're going to use this week to get him up to speed. They're going to use two weeks to get him up to speed, to get him the necessary reps, and to really test out that ankle to see if he's right. Because in that Patriots game, and we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, they're going to have to be firing on 17 million cylinders. Because that Patriots team, with those two tight ends and Brady, that offense is tough. And that offense, the Steelers' offense, is going to have to be cooking in that game. And they've been better in the red zone than they have been for years, and that's going to have to continue. But I am excited. Get your popcorn ready. Green is a guy, and me and Jeff talked about it last year, Green is a guy that I have been salivating over for like a year. When, when Heath was gone, he was the guy that came to my mind immediately, Ladarius Green. He's special. He is a special physical talent, and him on that offense is just – the offense is already crazy. It would just be downright retarded when he comes. Absolutely. It, 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 it's going to make – it's going to add a new – like you said, they're good already. Um, it's going to be a new dynamic, though, when – you see what he can bring to the table. And he might not have the full playbook in terms of physical repetitions in there. 
I don't think it's going to decrease Jesse James if he does it all. Um, he's, I think I would love to see him in the slot. You know, screw him in line. He, that's just not who he is. He's that guy that he's the closest thing they've had to a Jimmy Graham or someone like that really since Eric Green played. I mean, that's what I was trying to last week with Chris Carter. I was, or it might have been on Monday night on our Steelers hangover show. I was trying to think of the last time the Steelers had a really athletic tight end. And that's the last name I could think of was Eric Green back in the, the, the mid-'90s when he, he tore it up at the tight end position. Um, I, I can't think of anyone else. I mean, after that is when they went to Jay Bruner, Jeremy Tooman, Heath Miller, um, really just the, your atypical Matt Spath, another one, your atypical blocking inline tight ends. And people love that, but this guy, put him in the slot, and it's almost like Le'Veon Bell where, okay, you're going to put a safety on him, that's fine, but then Antonio Brown or Sandy Coates are going to kill you. And if you decide to put a linebacker on him, well, then who's going to spy Le'Veon Bell out of the backfield? That's going to be fun to watch. I'm looking forward to that. I'm excited. But, again, let's not count our chickens before they hatch. Uh, they clearly that's not saying that he'll be ready for the Patriots, and we still have a game this Sunday at 1 o'clock in South Beach, Miami. I don't know what the hell they call that stadium now. I still know it as Joe Robbie Stadium. So uh, what are your keys to victory? Let's get right into it. The keys to victory defensively for the Steelers against the Dolphins. I'm going to simplify it. After watching the Dolphins, it just needs to be simplified. I mean, the Dolphins are not – the Dolphins are not a good football team. And I'm just going to give you a very simple rhyme. If 5-1 and one is what you want, keep everything in front. They're an inconsistent offensive football team, but they do have the ability to get the ball over the top in explosive plays in the passing game. But it's a fractured offense. They don't really do anything particularly well. They don't convert third downs at a high rate. So the offense is not typically on schedule because pass protection is bad, but they will occasionally hit you with a bust and, and get a coverage bust on you and hit you over the top. When you look at their team, and, you know, I know they were playing some backups last week uh, in their game against Tennessee. Brian Arakpo went nuts. They had Billy Turner and Jawan James playing, uh, you know, two really bad tackles. But when you look at this football team, pass protection is an issue. Danny Hill is playing under duress all the time. They've given up 17 sacks, the second most in the National Football League, and only 156 pass attempts. So that's one every nine pass attempts. That's an adjusted sack rate of 32nd, which is last in the National Football League. So it's going to be about keeping everything in front and getting pressure on Danny Hill. In terms of explosive plays, 20, 20 yards or more, that's fourth in the National Football League. Their big play wide receiver is Stills, who has nine receptions for 205 yards, averaging 22.8. But Parker, their number one receiver, is sort of the guy that keeps it on schedule. The running game with Arian Foster coming back will be a little bit more, a little bit better than what I've seen. But the running game is pretty inconsistent. They're pretty much a really bad football team. I mean, that 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 it's it's hard to say otherwise. They're inconsistent on offense. You know, Kenny Hill's an inconsistent player. Uh, the receivers are okay. They're young. They're okay, but 
you know, they're so off schedule for a majority of the times because under so much pressure that they're just not getting anything done. It's a zone running team, so the Steelers will have to deal with that. But they've seen some zone run this year. You know, that's not going to be an issue. You know, the biggest issue for the Steelers might be how they're going to get interior pass rush with Hayward out. But the Dolphins' offensive line is not very good. I suspect the Steelers will be able to get the pass rush right in this game and really be able to get out the Tannehill. And I, I think you're going to see the Steelers' defense play very well. So let me go back to the run. If 5-1 is what you want, keep everything in front. Do not give up the big play. Make this offense have to execute by moving the football downfield, down the field slowly. Do not give it up in chunks because this offense can't do it. They're going to get a sack or they're going to get a mistake or he's going to be under pressure. Make them slowly matriculate the ball downfield and do not give up big plays over the top. They can't do it. They're not a consistent offense. If you can do that and get pressure, the Steelers will be okay. The Dolphins are a very bad football team. Well, and and what you just described is kind of the the Steelers' bread and butter. Um, They keep things in front. They have not given up a lot of big plays um, outside of the Philadelphia game this year. Uh, they, they've done a good job with that. I expect that to be a, a strong point. And my question for you in on the defensive side is, so against Kansas City, they had four sacks, and they had three last week against Brian Fitzpatrick and the Jets. Now, they did get a lot of pressure on Fitzpatrick. I want to say they had registered 10 quarterback hits in that game. Um, they are dialing up the pressure. Uh, would you be happy if the Steelers could be a three-sack-a-game team or do you think it needs to be more than that moving forward? Because I think if at this point, if they can get three sacks and, and still be pressuring the quarterback, meaning quarterback hurries, quarterback hits, what is your recipe for success if you were to put numbers on it? I mean, obviously, if they get six sacks in a game, that's awesome, but that's not going to happen with this team every week. Uh, if you were to put a number down, what would that number be for what you would think would be solid defensive work for this group? Three sacks a game? That's like asking a guy that grew up in the 70s, did he have a poster of Fair Fawcett on his wall? Get three sacks a game? Shoot. It'd be like hitting the lottery. I mean, we remember the ineptitude of this pass rush before the Chiefs game. If they got three sacks a game, they'd run away and hide. If they got three sacks a game, it, it, it would just be really hard on the league. They might go away and hide if they got three sacks a game. Absolutely. They'll take that in a heartbeat. I mean, is it, I mean they'll absolutely take that. I mean, if a team gets three sacks well, a game, think... that's almost 50 sacks. That, I mean, that's almost a 50-sack case. I mean, they absolutely take that. But they but they love well, the I, I think, quarterback I think they can do You're that. You're right, Jeff. It was 10. You're right, Jeff. It was 10 quarterback hits. They love that as well. Uh, and they might like that even more than actually getting the sack numbers because, you know, if you're getting 10 quarterback hits, you know, that, that's a lot. I mean, that, that's an absolute lot, you know. So they hit the quarterback, I think, in that game 13 times when you add up the hits and the sacks. I mean, that is a – but, yeah, I mean, if they could get two, two sacks, six quarterback hits a game, they'll take that. Because, I mean, when you're on those numbers, when you're hitting the quarterback eight times a game and about 40 pass attempts, I mean, you're really getting good pressure. 
And the thing is, I think the three sacks on average is doable. I mean, this week against Miami, um, they've given up the second tie for the second most sacks in the league after five weeks. Um, they're not a good, they're not a good offensive line, and even the Steelers' outside linebackers of Anthony Chakillo, for the first time in his NFL career, and I say this all the time to the people that do our film room work, is I want to see a player pop off the off the tape when you're watching film and when you're watching the game. Chakillo never popped until last week, and he had that strip back, and maybe that's what gets him going. Um, I'd love to see them feast on those bad tackles, but I think that this this pass rush could be returning back to their form in 2015 when they had 48 sacks, and and they did it by blitzing. They did it by creativity. They did it by sending different players in different situations. Um, I can see that definitely being uh, kind of the standard moving forward, and and that's kind of Butler's calling card is you live and die by the blitz and uh, see how it goes. So, uh, it should be interesting, but I, I play, three sacks a game. I think they could get close to that. We'll see how it pans out. But uh, putting up a big spot against Tannehill and the boys down in Miami would go a long way. Um, let's talk about some offense. The, the Steelers' offense is is legitimate. We talked about it a lot at the beginning of the show, and I'll keep it simple like you did. Uh, I don't think that the Steelers, when they look at the the Dolphins' defense, are going to be fearful of anything. But if they, they should have the same approach they did against the New York Jets in terms of they want to run the football. They want to stay balanced. And I thought they did that well against the defensive front in New York that is good at stopping the run. They were a top-five run-stopping team. And by all accounts, they would look at the statistics and say, well, they did it. They, they slowed down Lady on Bell. But in truth, I don't think that they did. I thought that the, the Steelers ran the ball enough to stay balanced to make them – not be able to just drop back in coverage. I thought that they did a good job opening up some holes. Uh, Chris Hubbard did a great job uh, for, I guess you could say, the expectations that were placed on him. But ultimately, the Steelers' offense that I talk about every week stayed on time, and that's going to be important here as well. Stay on time. The third and manageables are really important. Um, you get into those third and 15s or third and 20s because of a holding call, and that's going to really – I don't care who you're playing, it's going to be a tough road to so first thing, stay on time. Second thing, stay balanced. Run the football with D'Angelo. If it's Le'Veon, try to get him in a groove. And if you don't have to drop Roethlisberger back 40 times against the King Sue and Cameron Wake, that's going to be a good thing. And then lastly is I want to see them start to set stuff up a little bit more. And I mean that from Todd Haley scheming down all the way to Ben Roethlisberger. I was wondering, I was waiting, I should say. I was waiting for them to take another shot downfield against the Jets, and it just never happened. The first play, the first series, is the third play from scrimmage. They go deep, 70-yard bomb to Sammy Coates. And then after that, it's just kind of like they took what they were giving. But at some point, you know the defense is going to fluff in. They're going to try to take that away. And that's typically when you see an offense hit the double move. Uh, that's Antonio Brown's bread and butter. I want to see them set up their offensive game plan. If it, even if it's with those bubble screens, set it up, and I think it would be uh, a recipe for success. Offensively, I don't think there's much they have to do different. Just just take care of take care of the football. Don't turn it over. Do your job. Keep up Ben Roethlisberger upright, and they win this football game. Uh, do you have anything to add on the offensive side? I think this should be a get right. 
this is a game I think where they got to get right the running game. Uh, Miami, as bad as Miami is in pass protection, they're even worse stopping the run. This is a get it right, get right running game. Get the running game going, all cylinders. This is a game where uh, I think Le'Veon and D'Angelo Williams are going to have 75 yards rushing plus. Easy. I mean, they are really bad. I mean, you would think they would be better with Sue, but they are really bad stopping the run. I mean, they remind me of the Colts defense that won the Super Bowl that was bad. They just have no concern stopping the run. It's like they just run past the ball carries. But they don't even seem committed to stopping it. I mean, Tennessee was just gouging them with it. Uh, So I would really like to see the Steelers running game get really healthy and feel real good about itself going up against the Patriots because it's just really bad. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I watch hmm. Miami and I'm just watching them. I'm like, oh, this is a bad football team. Like, this is really bad. They're bad on both sides of the ball, <laughs> but they are especially bad stopping the run, and their corners are bad as well. I mean, there's anything they want against this defense. Uh, and, and the pass rush is spotty as well. I mean, block Cameron Wake, and that's about it. Uh, and, and I don't know. The Dolphins are just bad. I mean, it's just hard to, to, to use any other adjective for it. They're not a good player. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, let me ask you this question. We always go to predictions after this, and we will. And I think you kind of get a feel for what both of us are going to go with this game. Um, my next question is a question that I hate that it's always talked about, but it is a it is a talking point. I want you to give me some reasons why this game against the Miami Dolphins is not a trap game. Give me some reasons you know, that we've seen them before, whether it was the trip to the uh, New Meadowlands where they lost to Mike Vick and the Jets back in four, 2014. There's many trips to Oakland. Uh, at the, the 12 prior to 93-yard run from the first play from scrimmage comes to mind. Why can you talk to the Steeler Nation and give them some reasons? Say, wait, this is why this is not going to be a trap game. This is why this team is different. This team is different. This isn't a trap game because they have the Patriot game on the back end. Now, I think people will typically say that's why it's a trap game, but I think this team – clearly has its eye on the prize. I think they clearly know how big that game is against the Patriots. And they're going to go down there and handle their business and thump the Dolphins because they know to get to like, – and I said it at the top – I said it in previous shows. They have to get a one seed. You do not want to go to New England and play a playoff game to get to the Super Bowl. They know that. They may not say that, but they know that. They know just how important this game is, and because of that, they're going to mollywop the Dolphins. Yeah. I, mean, it, I, I think it comes down to the fact that eventually a team has to gain experience, and I think in 2014 when a lot of those letdowns happened, uh, they didn't have the experience. They didn't have the playoff experience. A lot of those players, like Cam Hayward, had never even been there. And now, all of a sudden, you've got guys that have been in the playoffs for a couple of years. They've been to the divisional round. 
I think that they've gotten that taste. And I think they've also gotten the taste of disappointment of what it was like when they dropped those easy games and those missed opportunities. I don't think that this football team, and, as, and in my opinion, it's never been about Tomlin and the coaching staff, although that's where everyone wants to go right away. Uh, the players have to go out and execute, and that's what hasn't happened. Um, I think that the Steelers can really send a message to the fan base by going down, like you said, just laying the hammer down on the Dolphins and coming back to Pittsburgh 5-1 and one with, uh, let's be honest, probably a 5-1 and one New England Patriots team coming to town, and it doesn't get any bigger than that, period. You can talk about the Ravens all you want, and we're going to have a question about that a little bit later, but um, ultimately this this game is going to be huge. And so the Miami Dolphins can't be a trip-up game, can't be a trap game, can't be a letdown. It's going to have to be good. So what's your prediction, Lance? What are you uh, What are you thinking from a score standpoint? Because I'm pretty sure you're going to take the Steelers. Oh, I, I'm actually going to take the Dolphins for points. <laughs> no, no, um, I'm going to go with 41-16. Okay. All right. I, I I'm, I'm going to go with – go ahead, go ahead. I think the Steelers put up 40, and this game is pretty much over. Uh, this will sort of look like what it will look like when they destroy Cleveland. It, it'll just be – they're going to smash the Dolphins. 41-13. All right. I have – I said 38-17. to 17. Um, I think that the Steelers – Rolls rather easily. I think it's a game where they can actually get Roethlisberger out of there outside of the garbage time kneel downs, with, which is what's been going on the last two weeks with Landry Jones getting like nah, three snaps where he's kneeling the ball. Um, I think they might be able to get him in there. They might be able to get D'Angelo Williams some more work. Um, you know, it, it should be a, like you called it earlier for the running game. It's, it's really as a team, it's a get right game. Uh, it's, a, it's a game that you get right in all different facets. I hope they get some turnovers. That's one of the things that they, this team has been lacking um, is getting the football back. Uh, so hopefully they can get off the schneid with that and uh, and go back to an easy win. Now, the last question I have for you before we call it a show is I wanted to get your feel on after five games, where, what do you think about the AFC North? It's kind of a jumbled mess right now. The, the, the Steelers are at the top of 4-1. The Ravens are 3-2. and two. They just fired their offensive coordinator. The Bengals are 2-3 and three, getting ready to go to Foxborough. And the Browns haven't won a game. We can just kind of dis- disqualify the Browns in this conversation altogether. But what do you think about the rest of the AFC North after five games? I think the North is finally average. And thank goodness. It's hard for the Steelers <laughs> having to go through the juggernaut of typically two playoff teams, and it's three teams coming out of division. It, it finally looks like the Steelers are clearly the class of the division. The Ravens aren't good. I think Cincinnati is better than it's playing. The Ravens aren't a good football team. I, I've watched several of their games. They're average. They were playing bad teams, trying to win it with mirrors. You know, wins are wins, but they're not a good football team. And as you chronicled there, you know, they fired Treston. and got another offensive coordinator, which is not good midseason. So, you know, and Cleveland is a CFL team. Uh, so, you know, it's finally, you know, finally the division is not good. Uh, and, and it's good. You know, it, the Steelers are getting some of that Patriot medicine, you know, for years and basically having just a cakewalk to the playoffs in a division win. And typically a five because you play taxis. 
Although Buffalo is starting to play well, uh, and they do have a win over the Patriots, albeit with their seven-string quarterback. Uh, but, but, yeah, the AFC North is finally bad. It's finally bad. It's not as bad as the AFC South, but uh, it's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the grand scope of the AFC in general, it's very top-heavy. You know, you've got the teams, the Denver Broncos, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the New England Patriots, and then after that, it's just a bunch of mediocre and below-average football teams, to be honest with you. Um, the NFC is much deeper, in my opinion. Uh, the AFC is very top-heavy. So, um, Lance, before we uh, call it a show, I want to give you a chance to uh, get, get on the soapbox and talk to Steeler Nation uh, leading into the Week 6 game against the Miami Dolphins. Go ahead. The floor is yours. This team is simmering. We said earlier in the program, the offense can be supernatural, and it's still leaving stuff on the field. There is still ample room for improvement, and it just feels like this team is, you know, sort of like a quarter miler where – they don't open up till you get to that back stretch and they're really hitting their stride. And that's the beautiful thing about this football team is there is a lot of room for this team to improve. And the other thing that I think Steelers fans should be encouraged by is there's a lot of depth on this team that we didn't think we had. And there's a lot of good coaching because guys, those depth coming in, having impact, making contributions, and being where they're supposed to be and making plays. Has anyone said Jordan Dangerfield's name? Because he made a bad play in two weeks. That's yeah. evidence that he's prepared, he's being prepared, and that this is a really good football team. So, Steeler fans, be excited because this team is simmering and it's going to get hot. And when it gets hot, it's going to be special to watch. Uh, I uh, I honestly couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, This team is is fun to watch, and I know fans have an expectation. And you all, everyone gets sucked into it, uh, especially offensively. When when they have a three and out, you get pissed. Like, what the hell? And then you realize, well, hell, they're going to probably put up over 30. You know, and not many teams can say that in the National Football League and be be happy about that. Uh, they have to stay healthy. We know that. But um, it, it is a fun team to watch. Uh, I think they're just hitting their stride. I think the defense is going to get better as the year progresses as they did in 2015. And with the likes of Ladarius Screen coming back, with Bud Dupree possibly returning, it's only going to get better. So fingers crossed, knock on wood, all that good stuff. Uh, send all your good vibes to the black and gold uh, this Sunday and beyond. So now's the time when I tell folks that make sure you check out BehindTheSteelCurtain.com for all your Pittsburgh Steelers needs. Make sure you check out our other podcast as well, The Steelers Hangover, which is a call-in show. For anyone that wants to have their voice heard, you can call in and talk to myself and Brian Davis. Uh, that's the day after the game. The Fact or Fiction show, which is on Tuesdays, our show, obviously the standard is the standard. And then as well, we have a recap show and a preview show coming up over the weekend. So uh, make sure you check out BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Lance, as always, thank you for your time. Uh, We'll see you next week, and go Steelers. Bye. Hello. 
I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.